0: You're listening to The Bloodsucking Feminists, your number one Kiwi Scottish podcast focused on the three Fs, fangs, feminism, and fangirling. I'm Catherine. And I'm Kelly And you're listening to episode 19, Werewolverine. I can't believe we have a werewolf title in a vampire podcast.
1: It almost feels treacherous, doesn't it?
0: I know, and yet it is the best pun I can think of for this movie because I mean come on you've got Hugh Jackman in it and he is Wolverine albeit about a foot too tall we had to go with that title didn't we
1: it, it was really the only option we had guys you know you you can't pl- you can't play with fate in these instances you just have to go with it you have to follow that path and it's led us to one of my favorite bad movies ever <laughs> I love this movie it's so terrible this is up there with Dracula 2000 and, like great bad movies for me
0: Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed this way more than Dracula 2000, but it's definitely one of the ones that is like, it's bad, but I had a great time watching it. It opens up with Van Helsing as a sexy young man fighting Mr. Hyde in Notre Dame.
1: And is it not the weirdest, most awful Mr. Hyde? (laughs) I know, I know.
0: This is 2004, and so it is 2004 special effects. No,
1: it's not. These are 1999 special effects in a 2004 movie. I remember seeing this film, the cinema and thinking the effects looked
0: ropey. I don't know if Weta Digital did that section, but Weta Workshop did do a lot of the special effects. I think they did a lot of the, the bigatures and everything for the set for the castles, which makes a lot of sense. But looking at it from now... From a now perspective, the, the terrible special effects just sort of add to the charm.
1: Yeah, I get the feeling that at least 80% of everyone involved with making this movie knew exactly what kind of movie they were making. I don't know if Hugh Jackman was among those people. I think Richard Roxburgh knew exactly what he was doing.
0: Yeah, showing up and getting a wife.
1: Yeah, Dracula marries one of the brides in real life, guys.
0: The leader of the brides, no less.
1: For those of you who haven't seen this movie and... Surely there's not a whole lot of you on this list. The basic summary is Van Helsing with his lovely luscious long hair, played by Hugh Jackman, Post the first two X-Men movies. Post everyone in America knowing who Hugh Jackman is, he decides to start a major Hollywood action career as the titular Van Helsing vampire hunter, although in this version he is a general hunter of the supernatural. He hunts everything from at the beginning you see him with uh, Dr. Jekyll slash Mr. Hyde. Later on, there's werewolves, Frankenstein's monster. But the main villain of the piece is obviously Count Dracula. So he's sent to Transylvania to figure out what the deal is with this vampire and this family of uh, Roma royalty, played by the waspy wasp Kate Beckinsale,
0: and some model. Yes, I've had some handsome British guy. I mean, we're not complaining, because he spends a lot of his time shitless and or tied up. So some model, and
1: basically, they have been tasked with getting rid of Dracula forever. But they can't do that until handsome, handsome Hugh Jackman, with his L'Oreal sponsorship, comes in and does it. Really, th- this is not a film of plot. We should state for this film, this one comes out in 2004, which is a weird kind of area for film. Because the entire oversaturation of superhero movies that we get now, post-Iron Man with the Marvel domination, that hasn't hit yet. Superhero movies are being made and they're becoming more of a, if not necessarily a safe bet for money, but certainly a more worthwhile investment. Two Spider-Man movies have come out by this point in time. Uh, Two X-Men movies have come out by this point in time. Harry Potter is in swing. You're on um, Prisoner of Azkaban by now. Resident Evil is doing reasonably
0: okay. Uh, the first Underworld came out the year before.
1: Yeah, so if we look at the, the highest grossing films of 2010, of which Van Helsing is not in the top 10, the, the the top five are Shrek 2, the third Harry Potter film, Spider-Man 2, The Incredibles, Disney Pixar, and the The Passion of the Christ. So we see films that are of a specific mould that are getting in as these massive players. None of them break a billion dollars. We're not at the point where that's an expect an expectation. There, the, these the top ten films make between three hundred and sixty and nine hundred million dollars, which is obviously a lot of money. But nowadays there there's an expectation for it to go higher. But the films that are there are all of these are either recognisable names part of a franchise or they're of a story that is familiar to people so you know I mean people like Jesus, that's why that film does well, Shrek Harry Potter, Spider-Man, they're all sequels The Incredibles, it's a Pixar property is expected to make money, Troy is original Ocean's 12 is a sequel uh, The Day After Tomorrow was original Wait,
0: Troy as in the, the movie with yeah. Brad Pitt as yes. that That is based on a previous property, though. Well, yeah, but
1: it's not something that people are rushing out to buy the book of. Like, I imagine you you and I both have copies of the Iliad on our shelves, probably. But what is important to note is this is where we see the importance of the overseas market coming into play. And the importance of having a name. So, I would say the outlier here is really... Um, the Day After Tomorrow, I would say, is kind of an outliner. It's a Roland Emmerich movie, but the 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 synopsis for that movie is really watch the weather fuck shit up. And stuff. something like Troy is really watch Brad Pitt in a miniskirt made of leather. There are reasons to see these movies that, you know, are beyond, hey, that looks like an interesting story. There's an established name or a, a franchise or a you know, Pixar-style company bolstering them. So this is what we're getting with Van Helsing, because Van Helsing is obviously not just a familiar name in literature, it's also a familiar name in the Universal canon. And Universal had major expectations about this movie, because they built their studio, basically, on Lon Chaney and Phantom of the Opera, and Bela Lugosi and Dracula, and the Frankenstein movies, and so on. The monster movies made them. So why not you know, bolster their success a little bit in the two thousands with a familiar property that really embodies all of those things because it's also harkens back to something they used to do, which is let's put all the monsters in one movie and see what happens. Let's do the monster mash, which I hear was a graveyard smash.
0: You said it, not me.
1: <laughs> oh come on, it was wide open. Someone had to. I know, I know. You just got them first, but it's that expectation, you know so when that happens and keep in mind Van Helsing it made money but you the, the general rule of Hollywood is you need to make back more than twice your budget to break even due to uh, promotion and marketing and so on Van Helsing believe it or not cost $160 million uh, Like it really looks a lot cheaper than that guys uh, it makes $300 million, which isn't bad but it's clearly they were expecting more and nowadays that would not fly
0: because they gave it it things like an animated prequel oh yeah I mean they
1: went all out for this but also remember what comes out this year Um, well what comes out the previous year I should state Uh, Lord of the Rings Return of the King which really changes the game and expectations Um, it sweeps the Oscars it basically meant everyone in New Zealand had an Oscar I hear even you've got one occasionally like on a timeshare basis
0: I think I've seen a picture of Anna Paquin's one so <laughs> he keeps
1: it in the cupboard if you've not seen there, actually I think the entire thing is on YouTube the, the Oscar ceremony where Return of the King sweeps and by the end Peter Jackson I think he admits that they've thanked everyone in New Zealand already before everyone started, started taking the piss out of Peter Jackson for the, the, like, the nine hours of Hobbit movies and stuff There there was no expectations on Lord of the Rings being anything other than maybe respectable, but not a massive hit. They didn't expect it to be the game changer that it was. So all of the action films that come out after that, anything attempting to establish a series, there's really no excuse for it being kind of slapdash. Mm. And like, Stephen Summers, I don't think is a bad director. I think he's reasonably competent and he knows what kind of popcorn fare he's good at. But there's a huge difference between what Peter Jackson's doing and what Steven Somers is doing, you know?
0: I will give him all the applause for knowing exactly what his thing is, rather than all these directors who think they are amazing and they can barely put out crap. I think you can probably name one who we all refer to by a different name.
1: (laughs) There's a number of names... There's a number of names I could put there but I know the one you're specifically talking about. Yeah, let's let's keep that as a subtweet.
0: Um but this is the guy who did the first two Mummy remakes from just not long before Van Helsing. And the moment you, so the moment you realize Van Helsing is done by the same guy who did The Mummy and The Mummy 2, everything just sort of falls into place, doesn't it?
1: Oh yeah, it's like a light bulb moment. But I think that might have been part of the The pitch Universal gave them, which was make the mummy with vampires and make sure we can spin it out into series. Because if you watch the original mummy, you know that's not meant to be a franchise starter. It's a really satisfying tale with a beginning, middle, and an end. It doesn't need any extra. And I actually don't mind the mummy returns, it's okay. Um, It's not as, you know, fun as the original one. Um, And I think the problem with this story of Van Helsing is that it's really clear that all of the things that would make it a more satisfying story, particularly the development of the Van Helsing character, are deliberately kept from the audience because they want to reveal it in the sequels. In this version Van Helsing, whose name is Gabriel, by the way, and not Abraham, it's never explained why.
0: Uh, There is a reason, there is a reason, Um, because Abraham Van Helsing is in the public domain, Gabriel Van Helsing is not. That is it.
1: That's gloriously cynical, isn't it?
0: <laughs> no, seriously, because they wanted to be able to copyright their own character and market him and everything.
1: I understand that. I mean, it's cold and horrible, but it's it's Hollywood, you know? But I will say, for anyone who like us who would be watching this movie, I think it all just sort of hangs over your head is like, why? But there are moments where it's hinted at, oh, well, here's your big, bad, dark, edgy backstory. You know, he's an amnesiac, because of course he is, because that's the most convenient storytelling (laughs) device at their hand. Um, Who doesn't know his past, but who knows that he is hundreds of years old and is basically hired by the Vatican, the wonderfully organized supernatural Vatican, where nobody can decide on an accent to do all of their dark deeds for them. Which in light of certain things we now know about the, the Catholic Church is a is a really, really bad part to go with.
0: And then I just get another amnesiac Hugh Jackman movie. It's very clear what the backstory is meant to be, but they never explicitly state it, at least not in the film. It they they do state it in the novelization. So I don't know if they filmed it or whatever. But or they wrote the script for it, but they decided, no, we'll see if we can get a sequel out of this, and we'll leave it to be confirmed. I don't know what he would be fighting in the next movie, because he killed a lot of the people he would normally be fighting. Maybe the mummy? It's very... Yeah,
1: I mean... Universal have a pretty decent back catalogue of that kind of thing, but it's not that diverse. Uh, you'd have to start going really obscure, which could be very cool. I mean, there are some lesser-known universal monster properties that are great. I don't know if you've seen The Black Cat, which is like a murder mystery serial killer story with both Bella Lugosi and Boris Karloff. But there's a scene where Bella Lugosi lays
0: Boris Karloff alive. It's genuinely really unsettling. What? Um, apparently the creature from The Black Lagoon was supposed to be in this movie. Uh, he was supposed to be guiding the werewolf cure. But that didn't work out.
1: You know, I would love. You know, I would love. Now, I'm stealing this idea from my friend Rob, who doesn't listen to this, but I'll credit him anyway. Uh, he said, hi "If you're Rob. gonna do, hi Rob." He said, "If you're gonna do a uh, a creature from the Black Lagoon reboot, basically make it a cross between Heart of Darkness and the Fluke Man story from the X Files."
0: I'm going to nod along.
1: Yeah, don't Google that. That that's quite disturbing. Like, don't Google syphilis and don't Google the Fluke Man. Oh, if it's like syphilis, I'll be fine. <laughs> uh, but if you're very familiar, if you're familiar with that very famous episode of X-Files and you've probably seen the picture on, like, Tumblr and stuff.
0: Oh, no, I just think it kind of reminds me of um, the monsters from um, Amnesia, The Dark Descent.
1: They remind me a little bit of Hellraiser, actually. There's a monster in Hellraiser. It looks not long. Of- so, yeah, that would be the way to go, and I may steal that f- idea from my friend Rob. So, We will cut all evidence of this when that happens.
0: You did not hear it here first.
1: But that's the thing that's important to note about the movie is that all of the interesting elements, okay, interesting is a strong word, but all of the elements that are much more watchable have nothing to do with Van Helsing. He is a really, and I imagine deliberately bland character, but Hugh Jackman is playing him as like the the less brutish version of Wolverine. And it's, it's just not that interesting to watch.
0: Yeah, remember Van Helsing in the book is an old guy with broken English who is basically the brains, but here he is, action dude. Or what did I call him? A- action Van, the greatest hero of them all? <laughs> with a hair deal by L'Oreal, he's worth it.
1: That's, that, is, that is Hugh Jackman's defining fe- feature in this film, is that he's really, really pretty. And I don't have a problem with that. Hugh Jackman is very, very pretty. But it's just, it's not enough to hang a movie on, especially, as I mentioned, in a post-X-Men, post-Lord of the Rings world. There are, we, we expect more. And it's such a tonal jar. It's such a tonal dissonance compared to what Richard Roxburgh is doing as Dracula.
0: He's just having the time of his own life. <laughs> oh there's a
1: moment where the, the brides asking him because he has a heart and he goes, I am hollow. <laughs> it's just the best. I cannot do the accent justice. There's also a great bit in the opening of the film, the film opens actually really interesting. They do it as like black and white old uh, monster movie style and it's Frankenstein. The basic um setup is uh Dracula has hired Victor Frankenstein to make the monster because he needs to use it for his nefarious scheme and uh, frankenstein is horrified and makes a comment about how he'd rather kill himself than help him. and he goes oh you can die if you want i have really no use for you now just a, it's a wonderfully sort of glimpse of that and more of that and more of that in it because clearly richard roxman knows exactly what kind of character he's playing because remember this is a couple years after moulin rouge he, he knows what he's doing but it's so hammy you, you can smell the bacon
0: that was such a good opening because it, it knew exactly what it was referencing as well just the general look and the feel, just updated for 2004 like that that black and white look the smashing through the castle walls everyone yelling the weird lights and then dracula just shows up to have it up and steal the show standing upside down from ceilings and walkways like he's david bowie in the within you sequence in labyrinth
1: Oh yeah. But I think what is interesting about that scene is it is clearly the most loving homage to those films that we really get here. Because considering the budget and considering clearly the, the studio effort that they wanted here, a lot of the film feels very generic. The best elements are where it really gets to stretch as something more melodramatic. Like the ballroom scene is gorgeous and has really beautiful music by Alan Sylvester, who's best known for doing the themes for Back to the Future and the Avengers. His score in general is actually very good. But when it comes to those other, like the rest of the film, when it starts trying to um, do the, the older movies, so your Jekyll and Hyde, your Frankenstein, Dracula and such, it doesn't really get at what makes those stories interesting because it's trying to put them into this context of a big-budget Hollywood blogger action film, and I don't think these stories are necessarily suited to that. Like, the the opening scene we get with Van Helsing, it's Jekyll and Hyde. It is this giant, painfully bad CGI Jekyll, voiced by Robbie Coltrane, because, of course, he's Scottish. (laughs) Uh, Nice nod to um, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, obviously. But he looks so cartoonish. He's so large and bulbous and... Pro- has more in common with the the Hyde the of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which is another terrible movie I really, really love that came out around the same time
0: uh, Yeah, he's more like the Incredible Hulk just smaller and Hyde Yeah,
1: but th- that's also just sort of a weirdly, conveniently wrapped up story bit where hey, Hugh Jackman brutally murders a guy, <laughs> no one seems to care Like, the Vatican's more mildly annoyed by it than anything else. Like, can you stop leaving a body trail? It makes us look bad. This is the worst
0: thing the Vatican's ever done. Well, this is, you know, a few centuries ago, so, you know, they've got time to get even worse, I suppose. Yeah, that that, that whole sequence is just weird. It's like they're in Paris fighting in Notre Dame, destroying... They're upset that he destroys the windows. (laughs) upset that he destroys the windows you know that's what's the problem not that he killed people and everything and then Do- Hyde turns back into Jekyll as Jekyll's falling from this from the building and Jekyll's just like wakes is like what oh and,
1: and and Van Helsing doesn't seem that annoyed by this like surely if he is the great monster hunter of our time he would have known that was gonna happen and he'd have been a bit more cut up about the fact that a guy died. But he's not really. He's actually I think that's supposed to be him being so dark and vaguely anti-heroish. And he's not, because he's Hugh Jackman. And he's got lovely hair. And you know <laughs> Just it is such a strange kinda moment. And it's it it doesn't really establish that character very well. It's like, do you want him to be the dark edgy anti-hero then you need to tell Hugh Jackman what movie he's in or do you want him to be the sort of <laughs> old school
0: Hollywood hero then you've got to tell Hugh Jackman what movie he's in there too and you need to tell him to stop putting in the Australian accent he's losing it there are a lot of times when the Australian slips through
1: why don't you just make him Australian wouldn't that have been amazing <laughs> basically have him be Mad Max <laughs> that's not a vampire that's a vampire <laughs> sorry I had to do that am I going to get in trouble now because I'm making fun of your, your country sibling
0: we approve of making fun of Australia you played Steaky Spoony before okay so anyway
1: <laughs> what I think is important to note as well with the Van Helsing character not only is he really boring uh, not only is he clearly in a totally different movie from everyone else he really doesn't fulfill the various elements that they try to set up for him they try to set him up as this romantic hero with the anna valerius character played by kate Beckinsale. that kind of crumbles they try to set him up as tortured anti-hero doesn't work they try to set him up as old school hero doesn't work there's really not much that he's succeeding at other than looking really pretty and he does look really pretty you guys his hair is fabulous like he there's a man who gets a blow dry every morning (laughs) the vampires are coming but he's still got his curlers in I mean, I must admit, I find Hugh Jackman so much more attractive when he's not playing Wolverine. Like, especially as the Wolverine films have gone on, where he's just gotten sort of more and more veiny and muscly. I, I much prefer him when he's singing show tunes in tight trousers. Like, musical Hugh Jackman is my Hugh Jackman, except for the Les Mis movie, which is terrible.
0: Yeah, uh, musical, uh, musicals and Hugh Jackman is the perfect pair, rather like his thighs. <laughs> uh, for those who don't get that, that is a lot... Li- reference to a line from Me by Gaston, sung by Gaston in the Beauty and the Beast musical, where um, Hugh Jackman played Gaston in the Australian cast recording. It is out there if you want to hear him sing about his perfect thighs.
1: You know that song's not in the film that's coming out. I feel like that's a really bad move on the film's part. Like, I need to hear Luke Evans singing that song, you guys. So that that is just... He doesn't really
0: have much of an arc.
1: No, and I think that's one of the reasons that that Wolverine is really compelling in those first couple of of films. I really don't care about the the multitude of sequels. Logan looks interesting, but I still don't care. (laughs) And also, you know, Wolverine comes with potential we all know is coming. Because even if you've only ever seen the cartoon, you know exactly what's coming for Wolverine. Or you don't know exactly what's coming, but you know that more exciting things are on the horizon. You don't know anything about this guy, Van Helsing, and you don't really give a shit.
0: Okay, so time for a recap or are we still going to talk about how glorious Hugh Jackman's hair is
1: you know I feel we can just keep coming back to Hugh Jackman's thighs as we always do in our minds
0: his thighs now
1: well you know we'll come back to that but I think it is um, important to note Hugh Jackman's thighs among other things Um, um, I think because we are a, a vampire podcast we need to talk about the vampires
0: Although this is a mashup, including uh, opening with Doctor, H- well, Mr. Hyde, with the ending glimpse of Dr. Jekyll, uh, Frankenstein's monster, Frank- Dr. Frankenstein, and Igor. Uh, I said the non-appearance by the creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, anybody else besides the vampires? I don't think so. Those weird things that look like a cross between Jawas that sound like Daleks, speaking German. I don't get what
1: those were. The basic setup for the Dracula character is that he needs Frankenstein for some reason. I had this never entirely explained because you don't need it to be, but he needs this—the the power that Frankenstein's monster holds—in order to unleash the, uh, to basically give life to the unborn children pod creatures,
0: things. That line his ceiling. So basically, it seems that Dracula and the brides have been doing it a lot. Like, if you look at the amount of these things, they've been together for like four hundred years. They've been doing it a hell of a lot, and they have a really short gestation period. Yeah, they've been busy. Like, as they actually point out, he's a man with three beautiful wives. What do you think they've been doing? The ch- their children are being born dead. They're being born in these egg sacs which are basically awaiting the spark of life, literally. And by using the Frankenstein technology and uh, Frankenstein's monster as a sort of a conduit for that technology, that that life spark in the electricity, Dracula can give life to the children in a manner that will actually stick around rather than going blip and exploding full of green goop in midair after being given temporary life. So the motivation for Dracula here is fatherhood. He and his wives want to be parents. They've been trying and trying and trying, and this might be their their chance at actually having children.
1: And that is legitimately fascinating. I mean, everyone remembers that the children of the night, what music they make, seen uh, from the original Lugosi film, but he's never specifically portrayed in this way as a paternal creature. He is predatory he is parental kind of but more in a a power dynamic way not in an especially nurturing way but here he really i mean even if he wants them from
0: various schemes he still wants the kids <laughs> and so do the wives and he st- he is upset when they die they're all really upset when the babies die yeah this
1: is the the real emotional crux for those women who are so often just portrayed as kind of, you know, like satanic sluts, for lack of a better term. They really, really want these kids, and they're devastated when they keep going through with this, and they keep dying, and they die pretty horribly. I mean, it plays more comedically to us, but it's clear to them that this is horrific. This is
0: them going through yet another miscarriage.
1: On a massive scale.
0: Remember, they've been, as I said, they've been trying for 400 years. Imagine 400 years of giving birth to dead babies. Yeah, it's
1: pretty horrific, you guys. And in that aspect, this is like what it reminds me of in terms of uh, the other bad Dracula movie I love, Dracula 2000, which is there are all these really, really cool ideas uh, that kind of go nowhere because you get the feeling that there was a studio executive going, dumb it down. Guys, people are stupid. Which is obviously a shame because, like, you know, I don't think people are stupid. I don't think audiences are. and I think particularly in the post-Lord of the Rings world, people have higher expectations.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it was a really good way of tying in the other parts of the Monster Universe. You know, why would Dracula have an interest in Frankenstein if Frankenstein literally has the power to give life in a manner that does not require God or the devil?
1: And it adds, it keeps that focus on a very um, scientific element of the story that we don't really see as much in Dracula. Dracula's obviously, the bent is very supernatural, whereas Frankenstein is all about, um, you know, the, the hubris of man and science. It's an interesting mix.
0: Yeah, so Dracula is one form of defiance against God. Frankenstein is another.
1: And then there are werewolves too.
0: And then there are werewolves and other creatures, just to, you know, add to the mix.
1: Okay, here's the part that I was kind of a bit iffy on. Um, There are werewolves in the story. Um, Anna Valerius' model brother uh, becomes a werewolf uh, and he's ended up basically being held captive by Dracula. And they wonder, why does he want this werewolf around? And they realise that actually the only thing that can kill Dracula is a werewolf. Which is, is neat from a storytelling point of view. But in the book... Dracula can turn into a wolf himself. Everyone talks about turning into the bat, but he turns more into a wolf.
0: Yeah, but since when does this actually follow in the book?
1: True, it is really not that connected to the book in any way, except for you know the, the 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 markers of um of branding, for lack of a better term.
0: I mean, I really do love some aspects of the werewolf concept. The bit where he's ripping his skin off and then his fur and then the skin again it's kind of interesting to watch
1: yeah and there's a lot of that that's got its roots in a lot of werewolf fiction i was recently re-watching the company of wolves which is neil jordan's movie based on the angela carter stories because i'm reading
0: mm-hmm. um
1: angela carter's bloody chamber which is wonderful by the way um and and there's a story in that where a man is becoming a werewolf and he basically has to rip his face off until there's nothing but the muscle underneath and then he becomes the wolf that way. I mean, you really see it as a a painful experience. Uh, A lot of werewolf fiction rests on showing just how horrific that transformation is. Obviously, an American werewolf in London is probably the most iconic version of that. You feel the skin stretching, the bones cracking, the the face pulling. Uh, Here, it is just... It is a cool idea, but that
0: is some cheap-looking skin-tearing. I I guess the best people were doing the special effects for Lord of the Rings at the time. (laughs) These were the the B-team for Weta Workshop. I mean, the Weta B-team is still probably better than a lot of other companies' (laughs) A-teams. The thing is, a lot of
1: CGI comes down to time. Do you have the time to make something out of this, and a lot of them don't because they're being cut down to the the, the cheapest profit margin possible and they're given a very short amount of time. Basically, studios are betting against one another. You know, I can do this scene for this amount of dollars in this amount of weeks. Well, I can do it for this and even shorter amount of weeks.
0: Do you want it fast or do you want it good?
1: I don't necessarily... Blame stu- um, the the effects companies for that, especially now where a lot of them are in, you know, a lot of financial problems. They're not making the money they need to be making. You know, studios are taking the profits and they're getting nothing. If you remember when Life of Pi got Best Visual Effects at the Oscars, the guys who won that award gave a speech talking about the problem, and they were played off stage by the jaws theme. It was really awkward. And this is still reasonably, if not early days, but it's um, this is when it's be- the, the proliferation of huge amounts of CGI in film is becoming the norm. And I don't think they had the time on this that they did on, say, Lord of the Rings or Spider-Man. Or even X-Men. And the X-Men effects have not aged well, but they looked good at the time. This did not look good at the time.
0: And remember, stuff like Lord of the Rings, they had to basically build the technology themselves to to fit the needs that they had. Give it a few more years, and I think the cheesy technology in uh, the cheesy look at the special effects in Van Helsing will work in its favour yeah it kind of adds to that uh, Mystery Science Theatre
1: 3000 late night double feature picture show feel doesn't it
0: yeah so a few more years and hey at least not everything is CGI like as I said they probably used bigatures for the castles rather than just building everything in CGI Yeah. it certainly had that look to it but even just stuff like and the castles did look pretty good I have to say true but even stuff just like the costumes
1: some of the costumes are utterly nonsensical I mean what have they got Kate wearing
0: Uh, so yeah where where, where were we going Transylvania
1: yes (laughs) I I will I say uh, we've talked about um, Dracula as the paternal figure but I think we also need to talk about him in the historical context of the clear vampire movie influences that Richard Roxburgh is drawing on I wouldn't say that Richard Roxburgh is necessarily doing a a Bela Lugosi impersonation. I think he's doing an impersonation of someone doing a Bela Lugosi impersonation.
0: It's like every person you've seen doing the Christopher Walken impersonation, when they're actually not realising they're impersonating somebody impersonating Christopher Walken? Well, you know the amount of people that have done
1: impersonations of Nixon... To the point where you lo- you watch Billy West playing him as basically like a werewolf in a jar on Futurama, and then you totally forget what Nixon actually sounded like. Because he never once went "ow" like he does in the cartoon. Or I always remember um, Dana Carvey, who was on Saturday Night Live, and is also you know, in Wayne's World and such, he used to do George Bush, the original George Bush, and he admitted by the end of his time doing that character, he was just doing an impersonation of his original impersonation and you can see that with stuff like um the way that uh, will ferrell did george w bush for instance or even the way kate mckinnon did hillary clinton where to uh steal a line from Lindsay ellis's Loose cannon video she's more doing invader zim than hillary clinton but you know that's part of the problem of when you're doing impersonation you also have to create a very specific character for the moment and in this case the Dracula that Richard Roxburgh is playing in the context of Van Helsing is so gloriously camp, and he knows that he's gloriously camp, and he's having clearly the
0: time of his life. There's a lot of his uh, Moulin Rouge character in this. Like, remember last episode we talked about um, Michael Sheen's? Yes, <laughs> Arrow. I'm oh, sorry, I was like, which one was he again? And I was like, not Marcus he's not Caius. He's Vampire Tony Blair. <laughs> arrow, Arrow, that was it.
1: But even like if you've ever seen uh, Michael Sheen in Tron Legacy, where like I feel like all Michael Sheen really wants to do is play Frankenfurter in Rocky Horror, and he's finding ways to do that. And I get feel like I get a lot of that with Richard Roxburgh as well, who is an award-winning actor, by the way, and a major star in Australia, from what I understand. But you wouldn't know anything about that because you're from New Zealand. You're 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 miles away. He's also played Sherlock Holmes, like. People forget that. He's actually a really good Sherlock Holmes. If I remember correctly, the the, the Holmes that he plays is in a BBC version of Hound of the, Va- the Baskervilles, where they, this was one of the first ones to explicitly show Sherlock Holmes as
0: a degenerate drug addict. Yeah, so this is the one with um, Ian Hart and Richard E. Grant. And... See, and that sort of thing, this is a movie the year after The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, so you've got that whole story steampunk action the aesthetic is
1: very like there's a lot of middle aged white men sitting around a boardroom going what are the kids into these days how can we add some urban flavour to this you're <laughs> you're down with the
0: kids Jim you've got a teenage son what is he into um boobs
1: oh there's a lot of boobs in this movie but like strategically done boobs so um to jump ahead a little bit the brides of dracula and they are explicitly the brides in this version not the weird sisters are basically played by free supermodels <laughs> like there's no pretenses here which I I actually kind of admire um, but when they are in a, their vampiric state they are more like succubus they are you know grey skinned sharpened teeth flapping leather wings claws
0: but when they turn back into the human form, they are wearing clothes. Both them and Dracula have their clothing incorporated into their um, vampiric forms. You can see the where the the women, especially, have long sort of robes, and you can see their wings just falling out into the into the robes as they transform. Same thing happens with Dracula. Yeah, th- there was some definite care taken in certain aspects of this, but they're also just boobs. Yeah, boobs. Like There were a lot of push-up bras in this.
1: Yeah, and oh my god, the accents. Can we can we take a minute to talk about the accents? First of all, let's mention the fact that the Australian actor Hugh Jackman is playing Van Helsing, who is Dutch in the book. Uh, he's playing him with an American
0: accent. Most of the time. And
1: this is a man who is supposed to be alive since the Crusades.
0: Most of the time with the American accent. There's quite a few bits where the Australian just stops giving a shit and comes through. There's a lot of Australians in this. I mean, you've got, well, Richard Roxburgh and um, Hugh Jackman, plus David Wenham.
1: There's a lot of you guys, like Australians in this. There's three Australians in the main cast. Were you, were they, was there like a, a group deal or something going?
0: So you've got three Australians in the main cast playing Van Helsing, Friar Carl and Dracula. We've got a bunch of English people. Kate Beckinsale, the hot guy playing her brother, a few other people in the thing a couple of Americans uh the guy who plays Frankenstein's monster, and then the brides you've got a Spanish bride, an Italian bride, and um an American bride
1: and all of them have outrageous accents like the accents in this are like are like Monty Python level silly
0: yeah, well, from what I read, um Josie Marin, who plays Marishka uh the first uh, bride to die, when she was asked why she was, she's like I get to be a vampire and fly around and attack people. She knew exactly what she was doing, and she had the time of her life, it seems. But again, this is a this is a woman who was in the um, Backstreet Boys music video for Everybody. The youngest bride here is the woman from the Howie D Dracula section. She's got experience being in vampire films. Um, so back to the boobs. <laughs>
1: Of course, we should point out um, Anna Valerius, the Kate Beckinsale character, uh, we we made um, allusion to her costume earlier, but she is wearing a corset throughout the entire film, what are essentially skinny jeans, and like, three inch heels? Stiletto heels? And she is running and kicking ass and fighting vampires, and she is a strong independent woman who don't need no vampire. Like, I get the feeling that she is at least 5% of the inspiration for the Kate Beaton Strong Female Character cartoon.
0: Yeah, so Anna is one of those female characters who has a lot of potential, but, then a ma- but she's the secondary character, so screw it.
1: And also she's written by a man.
0: Like, she survives so much brutality, it's ridiculous. Like, she falls down trees and through parts of castles and is physically assaulted and falls down more buildings and and she comes out pretty much unharmed except for a you know occasional bruise to the face or a cut lip or something and then she dies and a werewolf jumps on her it really is ridiculous
1: like i wonder if any of these people have ever actually like met a romanian i used to have a transylvanian flatmate uh she didn't sound like that Once again, like this is everyone doing an impression of what they think Romanians sound like. And it's more like Tim Curry and Rocky Horror than anything
0: else. Oh, dear. All of this is like a game of telephone. Everyone's repeating what they think they heard or acting what they think they, everything is. The same goes with the, the general storytelling of these characters. It's, these are not adaptations of the book characters. These are adaptations of the film characters.
1: I feel like people asked Stephen Sommers for direction and he was just like, sure, why not? Action. Once again, not necessarily a bad thing. I think Stephen Sommers knew exactly what kind of movie he was making. And consistency was never supposed to enter the picture. But still, it's, you know, worth discussing. Oh, I, I would like to point out as well that Skylar Hensley, who plays Frankenstein's monster, has one of our favourite traits in our bloodsucking feminist research, which is he's done musical theatre in Germany. He played Phantom and Phantom of the Opera in Hamburg.
0: <laughs>
1: He's also played Javert and um, Frankenstein's monster in Young Frankenstein the musical, which is just wonderfully <laughs> uh, sort of full circle. There, we're <laughs> just thought that was worth mentioning because I just think that's so gloriously
0: silly. Um, and and he was in an episode of a, of a Law and Order series.
1: Well, like everyone's in Law and Order
0: like well musicals and everything so
1: if you're a new york actor you've been in law and order if you haven't been in law and order you have you just don't know it yet you might have done it in your sleep you don't know
0: you play the dead body <laughs> dun, dun.
1: uh i will say there's dun, a dun. thing that i've uh, uh, <laughs> uh a thing i'd like to mention back to the uh the Anna Valeria character which is the the main problem with the the strong female character when it's written by a man which is she still needs to be uh, completely centered on men and I was going to say saved by man but actually she doesn't really get saved which in a way I actually like I partly appreciate the fact that she doesn't end up as a romantic interest and she actually like spoiler alert dies it's really rare to see that but then also it's just like oh look it's another fridged woman
0: if she had been written in a different way, like, I sort of saw her rushing into all of this as basically a suicide run. Yeah, but it's never really developed as that. Well. Yeah, exactly. Had that been developed, as she didn't really care what happened to her as long as Dracula finally died, that would have been a bit more interesting and really explained her last actions. But it's more more half assery
1: Of what is interesting to note, that we are getting this, this TV series uh, about v- Van Helsing, but it's like Van Helsing's... Uh granddaughter or something daughter called Vanessa Helsing which doesn't entirely make a lot of sense guys
0: Do they not know how Dutch names work? I don't think they
1: researched that far to be honest uh, but that is still being written by men and there's no reason it has to be written by men after all the um, the Winona Earp reboot TV show is uh, helmed by women and from what I hear is very very good I don't trust the Van Helsing TV reboot because it's being created by Neil Labute.
0: And why do you not trust
1: Because his work... One, his work is wildly misogynistic. Two, he did the Wicker Man remake.
0: <laughs> which is the biggest sin?
1: Well, both of them... Like, the Wicker Man remake still features women being punched in the face. So it doesn't really matter where you go.
0: Oh, and he did the American remake of Death at a Funeral.
1: Yes. Which is not as good as the original. But I think that's interesting to note as well, because what? once again, we see that there is a clear effort from Universal to take that property and still do something with it. I doubt it'll tie into the big monster Monsterverse reboot that they're planning. I think it'll end up being kind of like, you know, DC's TV series versus their movies. Even though everyone likes their TV shows better.
0: Okay, so there's a lot of problematic elements with Fat uh, and Housing* the movie. They have the, your stereotypical monster-fighting uh, Roma people, but they use the G-word. A lot of people don't realise that the G word is a slur. That's why you saw people complaining about the name of the Jaeger and Pacific Rim.
1: But in terms of stuff like offensive terms that are connected to it, like I've been jipped, which a lot of people don't realise is a slur.
0: Exactly. They don't use the term very much, but that's because they don't really talk about it that much in the film. But they do use that term, and tied in with the whole stereotype of the Roma people and um, vampires in Transylvania, the superstitious villages it's just repetitions on a, on an offensive theme i don't even know how Roma royalty works if it, at all because you know you 've got Anna Valerius as a princess, but nobody seems to give a crap about that fact
1: Romanians did there were Romanian royal families um, there were various... Faction of Romania. Obviously, you know, dra- you know um, Vlad the Impaler himself was technically royal, yeah. and there is a concept called their King or Queen of the Gypsies, um, yeah. which is not really an official noble lineage. It's more uh, kind of a communal term. Um, I- I'm afraid I'm not an expert in this field. Like a local look, lo- lo- between different geographical groups of travellers and Roma communities. Or not even necessarily Roma, they're even like European, um, Western European traveller communities.
0: But in this film, they sort of portray it as you'd classically think of a princess. She's the daughter of 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 the prince and the king and goes all the way back to this douchebag who couldn't kill his son.
1: And they've got a lovely, lovely castle because of course they do. And there's all these... Random shots of Kate Beckinsale in the sexy pose.
0: When you first introduce her, it goes up her legs, sits on her butt, and and then she spins around. It is that movie poster pose in action.
1: And it looks so uncomfortable because she's dressed like she should be in The Matrix.
0: Which is interesting because she's not in that pose on the poster when it's the standard movie poster for any woman in leather.
1: I can't imagine how uncomfortable it must have been for Kate Beckinsale to be doing that.
0: It's very definitely the look at the attractive woman we have type of pose. And you see it in action. There's a lot of emphasis on her shoes. like You see her, the angle of her heels. Like that, so there's an emphasis on the little details of her sexy costume. Um, when she's in the, the Dance of the Vampires in Budapest, that outfit is really boobtacular and she's constantly being dipped and stuff. And Dracula is even touching her boobs.
1: She's fabulously dressed, though.
0: Yeah, and I mean, her hair game is on point, as it always is. Like, Kate Beckinsale's hair is ridiculous.
1: If you haven't seen Love and Friendship, she's so incredible in it. It's one of my favourite movies of the year so far, and she also has fabulous hair.
0: I think it's like like a rule of Kate Beckinsale. The hair just is fabulous. (laughs) Like, every time you see her, her hair is just, like, she has so much of it.
1: This is a really bad use of Kate Beckinsale, I feel. I mean, she's, at least in the Underworld film. she has modicum more agency. She clearly fits into this very objectified model of women's empowerment that is so clearly written by men, almost exclusively for men. Not to say women can't take pleasure, enjoyment, or real empowerment from it, but it's really not their primary objective. But at least in the Underworld film she gets to occasionally shoot things. And it's her story. It's actually her story. It's not really any of the men in the story
0: yeah that's the thing in the end she is the character that has the big arc like she has all the motivation like she has the its personal factor and the the sibling relationship with the monster and everything but she is the secondary character
1: and she's clearly intended to be on some level disposable because they ditch her at the end they well, they end her story and obviously the implication is there will be another woman (laughs) Who's probably cheaper to hire? I can sale in the sequel, but it, it really feels unfair to them because, as you know, obviously we are not very unbiased on this front. But vampire stories are so often wonderfully uh, female-centric stories, yeah, and yeah. women are pro- are probably going to end up being a pretty decent portion of the audience for a film like this, and you've got to you know work with that. Like, this is one of the reasons I really hope the the team that have got their hands on the rights to reboot The Vampire Chronicles understand the vast majority of the people who are going to be watching that film
0: are women. Yeah, they're the, the women showing up to watch the two men have chemistry. Yeah. And that man better not be Jared fucking Leto. Ben Helsing's story is basically mysterious dude, can't remember what the shit he came, what he was doing before all of this, gets sent to kill another monster, possibly has um some history with the monster but can't remember it apparently turned out he killed the monster in the first place turning him into a monster but that's his only connection right whereas you got anna valerius who is the child what she's the descendant of the man who swore to slay him she and her brother are cursed the same as the rest of her family that they will not enter heaven until dracula has died
1: and that's also worth noting is that um it's another one of the rare instances of a, a dra- of a vampire movie where we're really getting the explicit role of faith um, i mean it's maybe not as explored even as something like dracula 2000 and boy it wasn't explored there but as well as van helsing actually working for the vatican who in this case are a multi-faith monster squad
0: in a in sequence that's basically bond going through the headquarters and getting equipment from q
1: yeah, David Wenham is basically like the Ben Wishaw cue before Ben Wishaw was Q.
0: Of being sent into the field. And there's a whole bunch of people from different backgrounds all working together. And there is an explicit moment where Carl messes something up and causes a problem. And one guy is yelling at him and, invoke, and invokes the name of Allah. Which is pretty cool. I, I wonder, was that meant to go anywhere and that got studioed out? Or...
1: Even if it is just that one flourish, it's, it's much appreciated,
0: particularly
1: in times now.
0: Because remember, this was 2004 as well, being filmed in two th- and done in 2003. But going back to Anna, not only is she, her brother and her family being barred from heaven until they do the duty of killing Dracula, theoretically, um, or until Dracula is dead. And they have taken it upon himself to spend 400 years fighting and trying to kill Dracula and defending the people. Her brother then is apparently killed by a werewolf, but turns out to actually have become a werewolf, giving her even more personal motivation when she finds out A, brother is a werewolf, B, he's being used, controlled and tortured by, by Dracula. She has all the personal motivation here. And if she were a man, this would be her story entirely.
1: And also worth noting that when she lets him get her brother get away, because obviously she doesn't want to have to kill her brother because they're the only two descendants left and they have to get the job done, Van Helsing essentially throws her against a wall. Like, quite brutally. And then when she says, Look, I'm sorry, I can't tell you. And he's like, well, he's not your brother anymore. It's like, well, how did you know? Like, there's no conflict there at all. So I was like, well, why are you throwing her against a wall? Are you still trying to make him like an anti-hero? It's not working. You're just making him into an asshole. Yeah, and Arsehole Hugh Jackman is, I mean, it can be done, but, like, just feel like you've got to Gaston that shit up. Oh, my God, Gaston Valor.
0: <laughs> he shows up, uh, Dracula's there with his three brides, like, meet my three brides, oh, yeah, meet my three bimbets. <laughs> and it just devolves into <laughs> a competition between the, the six women over who can sigh over their man the best and who's got the best man. No
1: one slays like Gaston. No one flays like Gaston. No one kills all the vampires, hey, like
0: Gaston. No one's steak is incredibly thick as Gaston's.
1: (laughs) I use silver in all of my decorating.
0: (laughs) I use werewolves in all of my decorating. (laughs) As I said before, if Anna Valerius had been a male character, the story would have been entirely about her. Definitely, or at least it would have been an equal um, an equal thing, yeah, even you know the mysterious vampire hunter that shows up would have been the female character.
1: I think we almost, if not take this for advantage, uh, I think we almost forget how common this c- occurrence is where there is a woman in the story whose job is really to be like the backup singer with the tambourine regardless of how much more interesting or talented she is than the, the six-pack of hair that they've got leading the project. But now we, you know, in a post-Mad Max Fury Road world, we don't really have to roll over and accept that. There's absolutely no reason why that
0: story... Yeah. Could have been a male-female equal partnership. Exactly. Focus on her and have Van Helsing be a guy who shows up to help or him stumbling on and deciding I'm going to stick around and help rather than take over her story. So I was thinking about that whole Dracula paternal thing and the quest for parenthood and theoretically changing the movie so that instead of being brother and sister, they were a husband and wife um, and they had a child. And it was sort of, you know, playing the two types of parenthood about the talking about their ideas for their future and their generations, taking the child for revenge. You know, you killed my children. I'm going to take yours things like that and i want to kill dracula not for my sake but so that my child can live a life free plus then it makes the whole werewolf thing kind of more the sacrifice falcon makes more like a a foil to dracula dracula is killing just for his children falcon would save him would kill himself to save the children i wouldn't suggest this for most for, for most films involving a female protagonist but considering the basis of a parental element is already heavily in the story, it would bring that element forward on the Dracula side as well. Yes. You know, not every female character has to be a mother or whatever, but in this case, it would have really emphasized that on the Dracula side. This is about family because in the movie as well, Anna Valerius and Dracula are related. Like she's a descendant from one of Dracula's siblings so there is that heavy family emphasis that emphasis on our souls, our family, saving our family, bringing our children to life, giving our children life and a future and by adding the second side of the family aspect it would become something other than hey everyone let's all kill Dracula's kids
1: I mean we are it's not that we are better than most Hollywood screenwriters but we kind of are it's just nobody else
0: realised it yet Well, this is me trying to go to sleep, and I'm like, oh, idea.
1: (laughs) Can I just say that I am slightly dreading the fact that the Mummy reboot has the sexy female mummy? Even though she's played by Sofia Boutella, who is really wonderful in Star Trek Beyond. Gotta have the sexy female. Also, can I just point out, Tom Cruise's character in the Mummy reboot is called Tyler Colt.
0: Tyler Colt.
1: Which is like the kind of name you give your male action character in like an airplane parody.
0: Or it's what the guy—a guy—shows up at your tabletop games, like, "Yeah, I'm playing Tyler Colt, adventurer and hero," or oh, the ladies' lover. And
1: here's my friend Chad Winchester, or something like that. <laughs> Chad Magnum, actually, that's even better. Max Power. <laughs> you strap yourself in and feel the G's. <laughs> so, is there anything else you want to touch on with with Van Helsing?
0: This is not a complex movie. That say something. It's a movie that you sit down with a beer and some popcorn and you're like, yep, this will do. It's very thin on the character development. Um, I do appreciate that the brides have a bit more personality and action, like, and also that their fights are not restricted just to um, fighting Anna, so it's not, there's this whole sequence where um, the last remaining uh, vampire, Alira, is fighting Frankenstein's monster. So it's not restricted to just your classic girl fight or as the the classic scene in um, Hot Fuzz, you know, a bit of girl on girl. And they do talk to each other and they have names and they talk about stuff other than a man sometimes, even if it is just how they're going to kill Anna. It's still a pass. They seem
1: to genuinely appreciate and enjoy the company of one another as wives yeah there's no there's no rivalry or malice there,
0: yeah there's one sequence where they definitely have a hierarchy where Olro goes to buy Anna first, and Verona tells her to back off its her her first, but that's about it, you know they seek comfort in each other when they're when uh, Marishka dies, they weep together of their children, they hang about together they are
1: companions of their own I mean that's the thing is you find that, that with a lot of enjoyable bad movies you enjoy them because there is something there where you're just like why didn't they do this or why didn't they do that and you do that with everything that you love even something that you would say is if not flawless then you know technically proficient and experienced and skilled on every level There's still part of you that's like well wouldn't it be great if they did this or if the character went in that way that's just being a fan
0: or if this character was a lesbian well, you do that with everything,
1: obviously. That's just natural human instinct. But, you know, that's part of being a fan. So that's what makes watching bad movies kind of enjoyable. But it's also important to know all this stuff in the context of what Hollywood is doing. We started the show talking about the sort of growth of the big franchise blockbuster. We're now in 2016. We're coming up for 2017. Thank fuck for that. But the defining um, foundations of Hollywood aren't just blockbusters of Enormous cost and expectations they are sagas they are franchises that are expected to go to multiple films beyond the the, the sort of typical
0: expected trilogy it 's not just a, a a series or a trilogy it 's an expanded universe now um, multiple films and they have to intertwine yeah multiple films that sit in the same universe are also intertwine uh, you started off with um The Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, starting with Iron Man and Captain America and whichever Hulk film they decide to go with. Um, And they've got plenty more films to come. DC is trying that. Um, Don't know how well they're actually doing, but they're making money, um, which is something.
1: Uh, That's
0: questionable. Um. And now you've got the upcoming Universal Monster movie, Cinematic Universe. We've seen it with, well originally it was going to start with Dracula Untold, but then they just realised they nobody liked it and they couldn't figure out how to get it into the series. This is one with the upcoming movie movie, there's a Van Helsing movie. We should point
1: out a lot of these movies that are being planned or discussed have been in pre-production or at least in the air, very early stages for years now. Um the mummy was originally going to be rebooted 2012 which was only 13 years after the original film. Tom Cruise was originally going to be in a version of Van Helsing. There's been talk of Angelina Jolie being the bride of Frankenstein for years now. The creature from the Black Lagoon has been tossed around for a couple of years like this is not new.
0: Yeah, Dracula and like Dr- Dracula Dracula is done every couple of years. Either directly or he appears in something else or the the vampire that they've created is basically Dracula anyway.
1: But he's not done by Universal. That's the key here. This is Universal. This is how they made their name. And they need something to keep them going as Marvel and DC dominate, as Star Wars dominates, as even... You know Warner Brothers' next effort at this is uh, to try and turn Godzilla and King Kong into an intertwining film series. Guy Ritchie's making a King Arthur film, which, let's be honest, is not going to make the money they need it to make to be a franchise, but I will watch it and love it and still be really obsessed with it like I was with Man From U.N.C.L.E. <laughs> there's talk of a Robin Hood series, there's talk of everything that Disney is doing as well. I mean, they may not be a traditional franchise with their animated films, but the way that they're doing their live-action remakes is operating almost as a franchise in and of itself because Disney is such a powerful brand name.
0: Well, they've done the Jungle Book, Cinderella, Beauty and the Beast is coming. Have they announced? Was it Little Mermaid or something else?
1: Yes, because uh, Lin Manuel Miranda's working on that one.
0: We can finally get that Oscar if he doesn't get it for Moana.
1: He's gonna get the Peagot, don't worry. But this this is the model, and obviously Universal are going to keep returning to this pool because it's a name that they have, it's a name that's already connected to them, and it's one that if it, it's not a money guarantee, but you know, for all of this talk of oh, but we all really want new original properties, no one's going to the cinema to support those films. Like we can complain about that all we want, no one's going to see them. That's the sad thing so you know, if you want to change you got to go and see those films will they make the money for it? i don't know i mean i'm looking at the, the the schedule of films that are coming out over the next 12 months or so i don't really know what big projects i'm excited for
0: much of the same
1: well yeah like i mean i've talked a lot about my my marvel fatigue like i didn't see, i haven't really gone to see a marvel film since the second avengers movie i didn't see doctor strange i didn't see Captain America free or any of these songs, just didn't care I may see Thor free but that's more because I like Taika Waititi and not necessarily because I like Thor but like Kong Skull Island I am just so uninterested in And most of the anime I mean I will see Beauty and the Beast
0: <laughs> because it's Beauty and the Beast
1: well yeah exactly because even I can be pandered to sometimes
0: Like, if the next Marvel film turned out not to be Thor or some other big buff strapping man, but it was Squirrel Girl, the movie, I would go see that. Because that's going to be, a hopefully, a different film.
1: Depends who they cast and who directs it and stuff. But that's the thing is, even with directors I like, I'm more interested in seeing their movies than seeing the film they are being allotted to make. Like, will Taika Waititi get to make a film that is of his sensibilities with Thor with that budget? I, I like to think that he would. I mean, the promotional material and stuff for it has already been way more in tune with his work than it has been with Marvel. If you haven't seen the amazing short video where Thor just moves in with some Australian guy and waits around for Tony Stark to call him, it's great. It's basically what we do in the shadows, but with Thor. <laughs> but I'm more interested in seeing that than I am in seeing oh well the Avengers will come back or the ones we can get available and here's a bunch of actors who you're a really big fan of and they're just here to pick up a check like I know Kate Blanchett's got four kids does she really need to do a four movie? I don't know I'm excited for Ocean's 8 but that doesn't come out until 2018 but like just to like give you like the next 12 months of stuff we've got we've got triple X free did anyone even like the
0: previous triple X's?
1: I will say here's a here's a laugh for you. Uh, one of the movies that's coming up next year is uh, called Monster Trucks, <laughs> and this movie now, now, I am not joking when I say this. Okay, it is a hundred and twenty-five million dollar budgeted, part CGI animation, part live action comedy about literal monster trucks. The script was developed with the former head of the studio and his eight-year-old son. And Paramount Pictures have already tried to write the film as a catastrophic flop. They've already written $115 million write-down because that's how they're expecting it to perform. And it doesn't come out until
0: January. <laughs> wow. I mean, working in tandem with the child doesn't always have to be a bad thing. I mean, you've read Axe Cop. You've seen Axe Cop. Yeah, exactly.
1: Hollywood where an eight-year-old boy can get a job over a woman but like I'm just looking for this title Resident Evil the final chapter I feel like that title is gonna be deceptive I don't think it's gonna be the final chapter uh, the Lego Batman movie John Wick II, 50 Shades Darker um, Logan which is the, the, the Wolverine movie Kong Skull Island Beauty and the Beast King Arthur Legends of the Sword I'm excited for that Power Rangers Ghost in the Shell oh god that's happening
0: Oh, Power Rangers just looks terrible.
1: Doesn't it? Six screenwriters, guys. Guess who one of them is? Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Baywatch. Fast A. Pirates of the Caribbean. Dead Men Tell No Tales. Well, the the Fast and Furious movies make shit tons of money. I know. That's a franchise that does well for Universal. Another Smurfs movie? They already have a franchise, though.
0: Oh, okay, okay, this one's just a fully animated one, so it may be better. Uh, World War Z2 I don't think that's going to be coming out next year I don't what <laughs> what?
1: Me that. Despicable Me 3 Transformers The Last Night. Spider-Man Homecoming War for the Planet of the Apes
0: Untitled Disney Fairy Tale That sort of sums it up Untitled Disney Fairy Tale
1: is, it, are, are, is there anything there that you're legitimately excited for? Star Wars? Well yeah I'm excited for Star Wars But here's the thing We haven't really had a chance to get sick of Star Wars yet They went away. They came back. We're excitement.
0: It's just sequels and remakes and a couple of adaptations. Spider-Man Homecoming.
1: Wow. That's exactly what we needed. Another Spider-Man movie. Meanwhile, how long have we got to wait for Captain Marvel and Black Panther? Look, a Van Helsing and Dracula reboot or whatever, a tie-in to this major universal saga reboot they want to do is inevitable. So minus what do you want from it? Not what do you expect, what do you want from it? Like, ideally, let's just say that uh, Kurtzman drops out and you're hired.
0: Um, women being in charge of their own stories. That would be nice. Yeah, that's never going to happen. No Tom Cruise. A Phantom movie.
1: Okay, hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. And a decent Dracula movie. Yes, I would love just a straight-up Dracula adaptation starring Mass Mickelson. But what is what I, want for, I want a phantom movie that really just hammers home how utterly terrifying the idea of having a man lie about being your holy spirit say, say sent to comfort you is and using it just to basically manipulate you into being a toy. I want a movie on just how creepy that level of gaslighting is. And it should be written and directed by a woman because I don't think men understand that.
0: Mm-hmm. See, what they should do is just do a if they have already made a pro shot of that just sell it as a DVD make it accessible
1: Do you know how much the premium seats are now? A couple $900 of Keep in mind, the previous highest price for a premium seat on Broadway was Book of Mormon which was $477 Jeez
0: Okay, so what would you do besides Creepy Phantom?
1: <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't have them tie into one another. I don't think it's feasible. I would just let them stand on their own as individual films, but I think that's what people want. It may not have the franchise potential, but you already have this incredible pool of characters and ideas and stories to go with. Just go with that. Keeping The Mummy as like a sort of rip-roaring action-adventure I think is fine. I wouldn't have done Tom Cruise, and I would, I would quietly recast Russell Crowe for Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> But yeah, I would love a proper psychological thriller of Phantom of the Opera. I would love Christine to be played by a woman of colour. Because that that whole story is about an extremely religious young woman who's totally isolated from society, finds solace with her faith and finds out actually someone's using that to exploit her. And I think that would be an interesting story to play with a young woman of colour in late 19th century Paris. I would just love to have a proper adaptation of Dracula the book particularly now with political climate the way it is, we've always talked about our society reflecting the, uh, Dracula movies reflect the society as it is at the time, you know, have a story that really amps up the xenophobia and you know, paranoia that the character and the themes elicit. You know, there's a really, you know, very perceptive story to go with there.
0: Yeah, well, think about all the people, the white nationalists and everything, shouting about rape-fugees. And the fear of people coming from the east.
1: I think there you know, there's something to do there. Like give that to a really perceptive writer and see what they can explore with it. Turn that fear on their head.
0: Yeah, either a straight up adaptation or, you know, an adaptation that looks it through the modern lens. Either would be good, or both. Both would be good.
1: There's much there's much to do there. I would love to see um, as I mentioned earlier, a creature from the Black Lagoon movie that really does treat it as this very like, do it like a survival horror. If you do it like the Fluke Man but with Heart of Darkness, maybe amp up the colonial themes there. White people go into the middle of the what would have maybe been back at that town, the Belgian Congo. All of the people who actually live there are like, don't mess with this shit, and all the stupid white people do and die. That would be a really cool story. <laughs> yeah, but I think it would be really interesting to have these classic genre stories within their historical context. The recent Tarzan movie they did with alexander skarsgard um but what is fascinating about that story is they really worked very hard to put it within its colonial context uh, this, it is set during this era when the belgian king leopold was basically massacring an entire continent and exploiting it for financial gain and they talk about that in the story that is a part of the world that they are in it's not ignored You can argue whether or not how well it's handled, but it was a really gutsy move for a major studio to put their name on that. So I would love to see something like Creature of the Black Lagoon. I I think that these stories have immense potential to really explore our themes and concerns of our day, and it would be really limiting to just have them be mindless popcorn fodder. I think audiences expect more, and damn right they should expect more.
0: I wouldn't mind another, you know, steampunk action monster mash movie like Van Helsing.
1: Well, that's where I think The Mummy can fit in really well. Although, you know, actually casting some Egyptian people would be nice in that. Rami Malek can't do all the work, you guys. I would watch a Mummy movie with Rami Malek.
0: Oh, wait, it's called Man at the Museum. Van Helsing, like a lot of the other things we've discussed, has a lot of good ideas. And I don't know whether they were just mishandled by... Writers who didn't want, to, didn't want to or think they couldn't stretch themselves or if there were studio-mandated issues. Given stories you hear about studios, I would not be surprised if there was studio interference. But there is a lot of potential in all of these things. Like the story and it's actually t- trying to tackle faith or at least the importance of faith to these characters is a big thing that you don't see in a lot of vampire films now. Which is interesting because everyone's still holding up crucifixes. give us Van Helsing this movie but with an actual female protagonist or give us a story about the brides
1: yeah there's so many interesting ways to go and I don't feel like they're interested in telling those stories and I get why they don't want to take financial risks but come on we're really bored you guys
0: this is what happens when you have the same viewpoints writing and directing and producing these things the same standard white male point of view not saying that white men can't write excellent women or whatever like obviously greg rucker has brought one of the ones that always comes to mind for fantastic women um if you're familiar with comics anyway but as you're talking to say phantom of the opera as done by a woman woman would be more likely to see the the creepy rapiness of the whole thing the same with would be for a, a dracula adaptation the invasion and the violation of the female form a werewolf movie as written by someone who has a period. <laughs> like, I feel
1: like the message we're just getting out here is someone should hire us to write scripts.
0: <laughs> or at least just sit there on the board on the table and just go, oh yeah, well, what about this? And just chuck out ideas in exchange for food and board. Seriously, when you expand your, your writing collective and the points of view that are creating a story, you will get more ideas and that, that will be different and exciting and seem fresh and interesting to an audience that is tired.
1: Yeah, like, give audiences some credit. Give foreign markets some credit. Stop acting like the, the, the Chinese box office is this weird kind of amorphous blob that is easily satisfied by you casting Fan Bingbing in one role inside and don't use that as an excuse to pull bullshit like with Doctor Strange
0: yeah um anything else you'd like to say
1: look this movie's terrible but it's really good fun you guys it's been a really tough year for a lot of us if you just want to watch something that requires about 40% less brain activity it's good fun like
0: just there's nothing wrong with fun We can all enjoy fun. (laughs) Yay fun. So yay for fun. uh, Yay for bad movies that are fun. And also, if it gives you the idea of how you would do something better, go off and create it.
1: Yay for the um, perceptive analysis of Hollywood industry and its uh, franchise hawks.
0: Okay, so next month we are going to be watching another film. We'll be doing Underworld, directed by Len Wiseman. Uh, we thought it'd be a nice contrast to have another Kate Beckinsale film, but one where she is the lead and has her own story. Plus, it gives us the return of Michael Sheen from our previous episode. Hooray! And everyone is always glad to have a bit of Bill Nye. Isn't that right?
1: We can all use a bit of Bill Nye. So, you know what? It's the end of the year is coming. I feel like we need to you know, dial back the, the brain activity, a good 25% got boobs guys let's just let's just go with the boobs
0: (laughs) yep so more leather more fantastic kate beckinsale hair seriously she's ridiculous apparently a tiny parents by Wentworth miller oh i like him we'll see you next month if you'd like to get in contact with us our website is bloodsuckingfeminist.com or you can email us at fangmail at bloodsuckingfeminist.com that is fangmail with a g because we are terrible and puns are life We're also on Twitter at Bloodsucking Femme. We're Bloodsucking Feminists on Facebook. And I think that's it, unless somebody else has started a hate page against us. But we don't seem to have that many listeners, so I don't think so. See you next month. Until then, don't let the vampires bite, unless that's your thing. I mean, it's ours.